How are we doing tonight? We good? It's a good Thursday night. Hey, my name is Stephen Rice. Uh, what's up? How's it going? Woohoo! Hey, that's an amazing welcome. Hey, well, <laughs> me and my wife, my wife's name is Mary Stewart. We actually moved to Cedar Falls about a month ago from Clearwater, Florida. Uh, yeah, yeah, Clearwater. We just moved there because we got really tired of the beach and the weather, and it was just, it just got really boring. So we decided to move to, to Cedar Falls. Um, but I recently accepted a position as a church planning candidate here at Candea Church. And I just want to say thank you so much for welcoming us into Iowa. This is my first time living in the Midwest. First time ever being in the Midwest, really. So, um, but thank you so much for welcoming us into this family, into Salt Company. And specifically, like, thank you to, to Michael Lisi and, and Laura. Man, they, you guys have some incredible people leading this ministry. You guys are so incredibly blessed. And, and it's just been my privilege to even get to know them, to learn under them. And it's just been a really awesome one month. But tonight we are going to continue on our series in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. And we know last week that Michael spoke on our identity. And, and, and what Michael wanted to do was to, to root our identity back in the gospel. And, and he wanted to show us that Paul was very intentional about his introduction that before he got into any mess that was going on in their life, he wanted them to know first who they are in Jesus. And I thought he did a great job about that, of saying how our identity actually then informs our actions. And tonight, all I want to do is to continue to build on that thought as we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I really just want to ask this question. Do our actions line up with our identity. So if our identity informs our actions, I want to kind of reverse that question and say, okay then, with that being said, do the way we live speak about the identity that we have in Christ? And, and we're going to see Paul actually confronting something in the church. So let's actually read that now. If you're with me, if you've got there, are we there? Sweet. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. Let's read this now. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Or I belong to Cephas. Or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispia, Crispus, Crispius, what's up? Coco Crispius and Gaius so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent words of wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied 
of its effect. Would you pray with me tonight as, as we ask God to speak through this? Father, we come to you now asking that as we open up your word to us, Lord, that Jesus Christ would be made evident through this text. Father, that in this text, you show the glory of your son. And Father, I pray that in this, we may see maybe areas as Christ is lifted up, areas where we need to conform to his image. Father, I pray in this that it is an encouragement and also a calling to live out our identity. So Father, would this be glorifying to you tonight? In your name, amen and amen. When's the last time you got deja vu? You guys ever had that before? Just me? Okay. Uh, deja, it happened to me uh, about two days ago when I went to go pick up a kid named Josiah. Did anyone know Josiah? Yeah, she's like, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why you laughed at that. But when I went to go pick up Josiah for lunch the other day, and, and I walked into his house, and it smelled really bad. I know that like, <laughs> I know that like three guys live with Josiah, or like two other guys, but it smells like eight other guys live in this house. And as I'm there, and sorry, man, uh, as I'm there looking at all of the clothes on the floor, just like all over the place in this weird smell, I feel like I was reminded again, like I got deja vu about what I lived like in college. Like this was exactly the setting about five years ago when I was a sophomore, like this was what I lived in, this pig sloppy house that smells like cigarettes and cheese somehow. I don't know. And I, I know, I don't know. They don't smoke cigarettes that I know of. Uh, but I remember in college, like one time I, I didn't want, I, like I didn't do laundry really. So I would just take like my clothes and just throw them on the floor. Uh, you guys probably do this too, but I had this like massive like pile of clothes and it just started smelling really bad. And I was like, oh, why is this smelling really bad? But then I didn't do anything about it. And one time my girlfriend came over, who is now my wife, thank the Lord for grace. Um, <laughs> looked at this pile of clothes and was like, you have to do something about this. And I was like, okay, fine. So I start like moving it. And as I moved it, there was like a family of dead lizards. Those poor lizards were just trying to cross over through my room and got lost in this labyrinth of clothes and couldn't find their way out. And they just died. <laughs> I'm a murderer. And, and that was the reason it was just smelling so bad. So, yeah, you're like, well, how did you get married? Uh, no idea. But, but if you were to go into my house today, like today, if you were to, like, or tomorrow, you want to head over to West 8th Street, come hang out with me and my wife and my dog, Cato. He's a Cocker Spaniel Poodle. He's our little son. But if you were to come over to hang out at our house, like my, my place doesn't look like this. And even like my side of the room, it doesn't look like this anymore. So, so what changed? What changed from college Steve, right? Dirty, lizard killing, no laundry doing Steve to like somewhat acceptable, like okay in society Steve, right? What, what changed? Well, about two and a half years ago, my identity completely changed. I went from being one person focused on himself 
to now two people. I got to marry my best friend, Mary Stewart. And from that day, my life and my identity completely changed. But let me tell you this, it didn't change when I said I do. Like it, she didn't like show up like with a list of like, hey, great, we're married now. Here's everything you need to change about your life, right? It was a process. And as we were married, and I'm dead serious, she does this today. Like, she, I think she did it today, actually. My wife will come up to me when she sees something that's just not, like, socially acceptable, like, in my life. Like, hey, she does this. This is the exact phrase, I promise you. Hey, babe, I love you so much. Like, you are my husband, and I care about you. But, right? Like, I'm not kidding, every single time. I love you so much, but you have to brush your teeth more than one time in the day. Or, hey, I know, she's like, I can, you didn't do that already? I know, I know, I messed up. She would be like, I love you, but you can't eat Taco Bell three meals a day. I love you, but you can't leave your wet towel on the ground crumpled up. It will get moldy and gross. Who would have known? <laughs> Every time I'm telling you, she does that. And over time, as she did those things, she did it out of love. What, what do you think she was doing there when she said that? Like, why does she start the sentence off of like, hey, I, I love you, you're my husband. What she's doing there, she's, she's reassuring me that my actions haven't changed the way that she feels about me, right? She's coming to me and reminding me my identity. Hey, I love you, you're my husband. Like, I'm married to you. I'm in this with you for life. And then she shows me areas in my life that are not living up to this new identity that I've had. I think similarly, Paul is doing the same, like Paul is doing the same thing in verse 10 through 17. He starts off like what Michael said, encouraging them, reassuring them, reminding them, your identity is in Christ. He says this, I always thank God for you, for the grace that's been given to you in Christ. You're my brother and sisters in Christ. And now in verse 10, he's going to confront them, just like my wife, out of love. She's going to encourage me, reassure me, and then say, but there is something in your life that needs to live up to this identity. Look, look at verse 10. He says this, now... This is a building now. That word is just building off of the past thought. And so Paul is going to show us and he's going to confront them about things in their life that are not living up to their identity. And the first thing that Paul is going to confront is going to be the most important thing that he confronts about the church. For the rest of the chapters, he deals with a lot of things, but he is going to deal with this first. So, so let's take a look at what that is. Begins in verse 10, he says, now I urge you, that word is like a pleading, like a begging, like I, I'm begging you. And then he says, brothers and sisters, this is that, again, reminding them of their identity. In the, first, in the book of 1 Corinthians, take note of this too, like in your Bible, underline it, of how many times he uses kinship language. It is family language. He uses this more than any other letter that he writes. And I wonder if he's just knowing that the things that he's going to conflict, he has to remind them who they are in Christ. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you, what does it say there? In the name of Jesus, that you all stop having sex with your mother. Is that what he says there? Because that's what's going on in the Corinthian church. Michael even told us some of the things that were going on in the Corinthian church that Paul knew about. And he doesn't even address that first. I urge you that all of you stop getting drunk during church services. That's not what he addresses. What, what does he address here? He says this, I urge you that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions. That word divisions means like schisms, like cracks, brokenness among you, that you be united in the same understanding, in the same conviction. Just like Michael told us, Paul knew about everything that was going on in their church. He was aware of it. All of the sin, all of the crap that was going on in this church. And this is the thing that he's going to bring up first? Like, doesn't that seem odd? Doesn't it seem odd that he would bring up just agreeing, being unified? That was my thought when someone actually showed it to me and brought it to my attention. It kind of shocked me, like, Man, you got a lot of stuff to do. You got a lot of stuff that they need fixing in their life. Why in the world are you going to bring up divisions? That they say the same thing? Apparently to Paul, these divisions were so severe that he was going to confront them before anything else. And so tonight, what I want to do is just look at three things. I want to look at three things in Paul's confrontation to the Corinthian church. I want to look at the way that he confronts the church, what specifically he is going to confront, and then why he is confronting them about it. The first thing that we see there is right in verse 12. Let's see it, the way that he is confronting them. He says this in verse 12, you can read along. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Paulos, Apollos, or I belong to Cephas. The first thing we see is the way that he is confronting them. Do you see how Paul doesn't leave anything to speculation here? He gets very specific. He says, listen, there are division and there's rivalry among you. And then he says, what I'm saying is this. Some of you say, he's getting into the dirty of dirty. He's saying like, I have heard you say this. Notice how he does not leave their brokenness and their cracks vague. Listen, I, for me in my life, I would much rather leave my sin vague than specific. It's a lot easier for me to say, hey, I, I just really struggle with purity. It's a lot easier for me to say that than, hey, I have committed adultery to my wife by looking at this on Instagram. It's a lot easier for me to be vague with it, right? It's so many times for us, it's so much easier to say, hey, in my sin, I'm going to leave it very vague. But I think there is this truth that vague repentance, a vague turning away from something is gonna lead to vague obedience. Paul, again, remember this, he is not looking to shame the church. 
He is looking to bring healing for them. He is looking to bring healing into their brokenness. And so he knows like a surgeon, he has to be specific. And so he is saying, listen, I have heard you say this. I have heard that some of you say this. He's being very specific about their brokenness and division that is happening. He does not leave it to chance. No one is walking away from listening to Paul and going, hmm, I wonder what he was talking about, right? He's like, oh, it could have been anyone. No, like when Paul is addressing it, they know immediately what he's talking about. They know specifically the divisions and rivalry that is going on in their church. Paul knows that he has to get to the root. He has to get to the root of the issue. And so he just comes out and he names it. This is what division and rivalry looks like among you. But it's so important for Paul to get to the root that we can't just look at the way that he does it. Even though he's being specific, we have to look at what exactly is he confronting. So, so what is Paul confronting? It tells us that right there in verse 12, hey, some of you say that I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to, to Cephas, some of her even saying, I belong to Christ. Oh, what does that actually mean? What, what Paul is saying is that there are actually division among the church and people have formed groups off of the best speaker or, or the person that they associate or identify with. They have formed divisions in their church just based off personal preference of church leaders. Like some people are like, man, Paul, he is my guy. Or some people are like, oh, Apollos, he's a great speaker. He's, an, he's a great rhetorician or whatever. Obviously, I'm not one of those. Like, or, or I follow Cephas, that dude, Peter, he walked with Jesus. Like, I'm with him. They're forming groups around leaders in the church that they identify most with, that they like the most. He even calls out one group that is saying, hey, I, I follow Christ which is so striking to me, like it's so weird. And as I was reading this, my, the first thing that came to my mind was like, these are those guys. These are the guys that are gonna Jesus juke you when you say you like something, right? You're like, man, I just love the Vikings. They're like, oh, that's weird. I love Jesus. You're like, <laughs> like okay, like, come on. Like, let me like the Vikings a little bit. Go Vikes, am I right, Luke? Um, <laughs> uh, no, so these are the guys, these are the OG hipsters, like, oh, you guys, you follow Paul or Cephas? Good for y'all. We follow Christ. Like, we, we follow Jesus. Like, Paul is associating these people in the same level of division and rivalry as people who are saying that they follow Apollos or Paul. And what, what came to my mind was what this pastor um, once said, was that if you are wrong in the way that you're right, you're still wrong. Like if you have a theology that is, is, Christ, like is right and sound and that theology leads you to not loving people better and creating actually more division, then your theology actually isn't right. Like if your theology leads you to not loving people, you have wrong theology. In the same way, like these people are saying that they follow Christ and are still a part of the issue that is going on at the heart of the church, being divided and broken and cracked. Isn't this such a petty thing to like put your identity in? Like, isn't it like church leaders 
Like how many of you are like walking around being like, I love Michael Lisi, I don't like Stephen. Like big fan of Josiah, not so much Laura. Like it seems like such a petty thing to like be a super fan about, right? Like a church leader. And yet, can't we intentionally or unintentionally form groups and cliques around the same type of things? The same trivial things that it looks like they're forming groups of? Don't we fall subject to forming groups around the same thing? Oh, I'm in this connection group. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not in this D group. I'm in Laura's D group. Oh, I, I go to salt company. Oh, you go to basic? Ooh, too real? <laughs> Don't we form groups and put pride in like very trivial things and stake our identity in something else? Why is it that our human nature is to just go straight to like forming cliques around our own preferences, around our own pride? I think the real problem behind these disagreements, these divisions, was a sense of spiritual elitism, some pride that they were struggling with. And if we are not careful, we can fall into the same trap that the Corinthian church did. If we lose focus of the heart of the gospel, we will quickly forsake unity with each other for personal preference and personal pride. If we do not strive, if we do not work as a group, as a community, if we do not fight for togetherness based around the person of Jesus, we will find our identity not in the body of Christ, not as the body of Christ, but we will find our identity in our own individuality. We have to seek to be unified as a group. But how do we even assess our unity? Like right now, if you were to say, okay, Salt Connect, like Salt Company, my connection group, my D group, my, my, my crew, are you unified? How do you even assess that? How do you even begin to ask that question? Well, I think one simple way what do people say about you? What do people say about Salt Company? What do people say about your connection group? What do people say about your D group? And, and I think because I mentioned that is because isn't that how Paul saw division and rivalry in the church of Corinth? As somebody told him, it was so obvious that somebody told Paul that there was this deep division and cracks in their community. So, so what do people think of when they think of Salt Company. When they, when they come into this room, what are the first things that come into their mind? Maybe I'll ask it this way. Like, how do you describe, or how would other people describe Salt Company to their friends? Like, real, authentic, like, intentional. Man, really leadership-oriented. And these are all good things. But I'm wondering is unity, togetherness. Is that one of the things that would describe our group right here in this room? Is unity one of those attributing factors that someone would place on us? And if not, I really believe it should be.
but why? Why is this so important? I think that's what everything hinges on, right? We see the way that Paul is confronting it. We even see what he's confronting, these divisions. Why is that so important? Why is it the most important thing for us to hear tonight? The most important thing that Paul says to the Corinthian church, the first thing he leads off is unity. Why is that so important? And I think we're gonna see Paul's motivation in verse 13. Paul's driving motivation for unity is in verse 13. Let's look with it. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Do do you see what he does there? Paul confronts division by asking a question, a question that they all knew the answer to, a question that hopefully we all know the answer to. Is Christ divided? No. Do you you see what Paul is doing? What he's doing is he's holding up the image of Christ. He is holding up the person of Christ and he's asking, do your actions, does your life look more like Christ or more like Corinth? What he's showing us is a picture of Christ and saying, listen, if you, if we are the body of Christ, and we are the representation, the display of Christ to the world. Is Christ divided? Then how can we be divided? John 17, I think, is actually going to bring about some incredible clarity, clarity to us tonight. I think it's, it's going to show us the heart of the importance of unity. So if you want to jump over to John 17, or if, if you don't want to, we'll throw it up on the screen. But what this is, is is actually Jesus's, some of Jesus's last days on earth. And in fact, this is right before he gets turned over to be crucified, to be betrayed and beaten. And we find Jesus doing what? He is praying and he's praying with his disciples. And and we're going to see what Jesus prayed about in his last moments before being betrayed. John 17, starting in verse 20, Jesus prays this. I pray, not only for these, he's talking about the disciples that are around him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Jesus is praying that we be be made completely one, perfectly one. And, And how does this happen? And in verse 23, he says, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. How do we become unified? How do we come together in unity, togetherness, in the same conviction, in the same heart and understanding? 
It is through the cross of Jesus. What the cross does is it levels the playing field for everyone. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How do we become unified? We must realize our unified need for a savior. The thing that unifies us is that we need hope and we need a savior to give us new life, to restore a relationship so that we can have a relationship with God. Ephesians 2.8 says it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but a gift from God so that no one may boast so that no one can boast. It is a gift from God. Unity comes from knowing that we all are in need of grace. And what does that verse in Ephesians tell us? So that no one can boast. There is no arrogance. There is no pride. If, if we get to a position where we can think that we are better than someone else, that we are a, a more advanced Christian than someone right next to us, that we're better than somebody across from us. We have forgotten the heart of the gospel, that we were all in need of a savior. And when we are unified around that fact, we will be joined together. We will be made completely one. But the main point isn't that we all just come together and live as a happy family. That is a result of that, right? That we come together, that we're unified, that we can function as a family and get through things together. But the main point isn't even unity for us. Which, I, which, which this is why I think Paul thinks this is so important. Is that what's at stake in our unity? Look again at verse 21 in John 17. Jesus says this, he's praying to the Father, may they all be one as the Father, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, this is the purpose of our unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Listen, our, our unity with the Father, our relationship with the Father only comes through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only way that we can be restored with the Father. And when we are restored with the Father, we also are grafted into a new family together. Just like we spent time praying together, just like we kept singing, we're grafted into a new family with unity with each other. And this unity with each other is a primary preacher of the gospel. Our unity with each other is what's going to tell the world about God's character. This is why unity together is so important. This is why Paul deals with this before any other sexual immorality, before any other thing that he sees. He wants to deal with unity because he knows as the body of Christ this is the way a lost world is gonna know, know God sent his son for them, is through the way they interact with each other. We have to begin to realize that our community is preaching to people. Your connection group is preaching to people. The only question is, what are you preaching? 
What are you telling about God to other people with the way that you interact with each other? Are we displaying unity? Are we displaying that no matter who you are, you are, are welcome? I think people should see us in this room and they should scratch their head and be like, these people are so freaking weird. I don't understand it. How can people from different political backgrounds, how can people who are different years, a sophomore, a junior, senior, how can people who think so differently on issues function like they do? I don't get it. Man, people should be coming in this room and just like, I don't understand how everyone in the room is so different and yet they all love each other. They function like brothers and sisters together. People should see us and see the gospel displayed. I love how Jake, one of the elders at Candeo Church, this church, said it this. He says, unity best displays God's character. Our, our unity is, is what best displays God. When we see a bunch of people from different backgrounds grafted together, there is no reason that this should work. There is no reason that we can love each other and forgive each other other than the gospel, and this preaches to people. Unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we're all the same and we all wear like the same t-shirts and we all wear you and I purple and gold and walk around and say the same thing, right? It doesn't mean uniformity. It means actually that we are so different and yet we can come together. Why? We can come together with different backgrounds, styles, differences, different opinions on things, because we all still come together to praise one name. And it's not Michael Lisi, it's not Stephen, it's not Paul Sabino. We come together unified under one name. It's not even Salt Company. The thing that unifies us is one name, and his name is Jesus. And I think Paul drives that point home in these last couple of verses. And we're gonna read this and then I'm gonna close and we're gonna worship to end our time here. But, but look at how Paul closes out this section. In verse 14 to 17, he says this. He actually says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Why does he say that? Because Paul doesn't want them to boast in him. He knows that will still leave them divided. What does he say in verse 17? For Christ did not send me to baptize. Christ did not send me to make a name of myself. But to do what? To preach the gospel. Not with eloquent words of wisdom. So that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Paul knew his role. Paul's role to the church was to be a pointer, someone who comes and points them to Jesus. He points them to the only thing that they can have hope in, to the only thing that is gonna bring unity, to the only thing that is going to solve all of their deep-rooted issues, and that is Jesus. And for us tonight, that is what we are praying, 
that there be no differences, that we all agree, not on every topic in the world, but that we all come together united in our need for a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, that we grow to agree in what we say, that there be no divisions among us. Father, we pray that we can be united in the same conviction and the same understanding. Father, may your cross be evident of its effect tonight with our life. Father, I pray that it displays the power of who you are. Father, tonight, would we be reunified? Would we be joined back together? Would you mend cracks and divisions among our community, among our connection groups, among friend groups? God, would you, through your gospel, reunite all of us in this room to have a spirit of unity centered around the gospel so that in our unity, many more will come to know you. Father, tonight we pray that. Father, we pray for many more to come to know you. And Father, we pray that it comes through a display of our unity in the gospel.